Hello, my friends. This is your Definitely Storytime host, Jamie. And if you're here, it's Definitely Storytime. So let's settle in and get comfortable, or whatever it is you prefer doing while you listen. And let's begin. We are reading The Invisible Man by H.G. Wells. Chapter 24 The Plan That Failed But now, said Kemp with a side glance out of the window, what are we to do? He moved nearer his guest as he spoke in such a manner as to prevent the possibility of a sudden glimpse of the three men who were advancing up the hill road, with an intolerable slowness, as it seemed to Kemp. What were you planning to do when you were heading for Port Burdock? Had you any plan? I was going to clear out of the country, but I have altered that plan rather since seeing you. I thought it would be wise, now the weather is hot and invisibility possible, to make for the south. Especially as my secret was known, and everyone would be on the lookout for a masked and muffled man. You have a line of steamers from here to France. My idea was to get aboard one and run the risks of the passage. Thence I could go by train into Spain, or else get to Algiers. It would not be difficult. There a man might always be invisible, and yet live and do things. I was using that tramp as a money box and luggage carrier, until I decided how to get my books and things sent over to meet me. That's clear. And then the filthy brute must needs try and rob me. He has hidden my books, Kemp. Hidden my books! If I can lay my hands on him. Best plan to get the books out of him first. But where is he, do you know? He's in the town police station, locked up, by his own request, in the strongest cell in the place. Cur said the invisible man. But that hangs up your plans a little. We must get those books. Those books are vital. Certainly, said Kemp, a little nervously, wondering if he heard footsteps outside. Certainly, we must get those books. But that won't be difficult, if he doesn't know they're for you. No, said the invisible man, and thought. Kemp tried to think of something to keep the talk going, but the invisible man resumed of his own accord. Blundering into your house, Kemp, he said, changes all my plans, for you are a man that can understand. In spite of all that has happened, in spite of this publicity, of the loss of my books, of what I have suffered... There still remain great possibilities, huge possibilities. You have told no one I am here, he asked abruptly. Kemp hesitated. That was implied, he said. No one, insisted Griffin. Not a soul. Ah, now, the invisible man stood up, and sticking his arms akimbo, began to pace the study. I made a mistake, Kemp, a huge mistake in carrying this thing through alone. I have wasted strength, time, opportunities. Alone, 
It is wonderful how little a man can do alone. To rob a little, to hurt a little, and there is an end. What I want, Kemp, is a goalkeeper, a helper, and a hiding place, an arrangement whereby I can sleep and eat and rest in peace and unsuspected. I must have a confederate. With a confederate, with food and rest, a thousand things are possible. Hitherto, I have gone on vague lines. We have to consider all that invisibility means, all that it does not mean. It means little advantage for eavesdropping and so forth. One makes sounds. It's of little help, a little help perhaps in housebreaking and so forth. Once you've caught me, you could easily imprison me. But on the other hand, I am hard to catch. This invisibility, in fact, is only good in two cases. It's useful in getting away. It's useful in approaching. It's particularly useful, therefore, in killing. I can walk round a man, whatever weapon he has, choose my point, strike as I like, dodge as I like, escape as I like. Kemp's hand went to his mustache. Was that a movement downstairs? And it is killing we must do, Kemp. It is killing we must do, repeated Kemp. I'm listening to your plan, Griffin, but I'm not agreeing, mind. Why killing? Not wanton killing, but a judicious slaying. The point is, they know there is an invisible man. As well as we know, there is an invisible man. And that invisible man, Kemp, must now establish a reign of terror. Yes, no doubt it's startling, but I mean it. A reign of terror. He must take some town like your burdock and terrify and dominate it. He must issue his orders. He can do that in a thousand ways. Scraps of paper thrust under doors would suffice. And all who disobey his orders he must kill. And kill all who would defend them. Huh said Kemp, no longer listening to Griffin, but to the sound of his front door opening and closing. "'It seems to me, Griffin,' he said to cover his wandering attention, "'that your confederate would be in a difficult position.' "'No one would know he was a confederate,' said the invisible man eagerly, and then suddenly, "'Hush!' "'What's that downstairs?' "'Nothing.' said Kemp, and suddenly began to speak loud and fast. I don't agree to this, Griffin, he said. Understand me, I don't agree to this. Why dream of playing a game against the race? How can you hope to gain happiness? Don't be a lone wolf. Publish your results. Take the world, take the nation at least, into your confidence. Think what you might do with a million helpers. The invisible man interrupted Kemp, arms extended. There are footsteps coming upstairs he said in a low voice. "'Nonsense,' said Kemp. "'Let me see,' said the invisible man, an advanced arm extended to the door. And then things happened very swiftly. Kemp hesitated for a second and then moved to intercept him. The invisible man started and stood still. "'Traitor!' cried the voice and suddenly the dressing gown opened, and sitting down, the unseen began to disrobe. 
Kemp made three swift steps to the door, and forthwith the invisible man, his legs had vanished, sprang up to his feet with a shout. Kemp flung the door open. As it opened, there came a sound of hurrying feet downstairs and voices. With a quick movement, Kemp thrust the invisible man back, sprang aside, and slammed the door. The key was outside and ready. In another moment, Griffin would have been alone in the Belvedere study, a prisoner, save for one little thing. The key had been slipped in hastily that morning. As Kemp slammed the door, it fell noisily upon the carpet. Kemp's face became white. He tried to grip the door handle with both hands. For a moment, he stood lugging. Then the door gave six inches, but he got it closed again. The second time, it was jerked a foot wide, and the dressing gown came wedging itself into the opening. His throat was gripped by invisible fingers, and he left his hold on the handle to defend himself. He was forced back, tripped, and pitched heavily into the corner of the landing. The empty dressing gown was flung on top of him. Halfway up the staircase was Colonel Adye, the recipient of Kemp's letter, the chief of the Burdock Police. He was staring aghast at the sudden appearance of Kemp, followed by the extraordinary sighting of clothing tossing, empty, in the air. He saw Kemp felled and struggling to his feet. He saw him rush forward and go down again, felled like an ox. Then suddenly he was struck violently. By nothing! A vast weight, it seemed, leapt upon him, and he was hurled headlong down the staircase, with the grip at his throat and a knee in his groin. An invisible foot trod on his back. A ghostly patter passed downstairs. He heard the two police officers in the hall shout and run, and the front door of the house slammed violently. He rolled over and sat up, staring. He saw... Staggering down the staircase, Kemp, dusty and disheveled, one side of his face white from a blow, his lip bleeding, and a pink dressing gown and some underclothing held in his arms. "'My God!' cried Kemp. "'The game is up. He's gone!' Chapter 25 The Hunting of the Invisible Man for a space, Kemp was too inarticulate to make Angie understand the swift things that had just happened. They stood on the landing, Kemp speaking swiftly, the grotesque swathings of Griffin still on his arm. But presently, Angie began to grasp something of the situation. "'He is mad,' said Kemp. "'Inhuman. He is pure selfishness. He thinks of nothing but his own advantage, his own safety.' I have listened to such a story this morning, of brutal self-seeking. He has wounded men. He will kill them unless we can prevent him. He will create a panic. Nothing can stop him. He is going out now, furious. He must be caught, said Adye. That is certain. But how? cried Kemp, and suddenly became full of ideas. You must begin at once. You must set every available man to work. You must prevent his leaving this district. Once he gets away, he may go through the countryside as he wills, killing and maiming. He dreams of a reign of terror. A reign of terror, I tell you. You must set a watch on trains and roads and shipping. The garrison must help. 
You must wire for help. The only thing that may keep him here is the thought of recovering some books of notes he counts of value. I will tell you of that. There is a man in your police station. Marvel. I know, said Adji. I know. Those books. Yes. And you must prevent him from eating or sleeping. Day and night, the country must be astir for him. Food must be locked up and secured, all food, so that he will have to break his way to it. The houses everywhere must be barred against him. Heaven send us cold nights and rain. The whole countryside must begin hunting, and keep hunting. I tell you, Adye, he is a danger, a disaster. Unless he is pinned and secured, it is frightful to think of the things that may happen. What else can we do? said Adye. I must go down at once and begin organizing. But why not come? Yes, you come too. Come, and we must hold a sort of council of war. Get hops to help. And the railway managers. By Jove, it's urgent. Come along. Tell me as we go. What else is there we can do? Put that stuff down. In another moment, Adji was leading the way downstairs. They found the front door open, and the policeman standing outside staring at empty air. He's got away, sir, said one. We must go to the central station at once, said Adji. One of you go on down and get a cab to come up and meet us quickly. And now, Kemp, what else? Dogs, said Kemp. Get dogs. They don't see him, but they wind him. Get dogs. Good, said Adye. It's not generally known, but the prison officials over at Halstead know a man with bloodhounds. Dogs. What else? Bear in mind, said Kemp, his food shows. After eating, his food shows until it is assimilated, so that he has to hide after eating. You must keep on beating every thicket, every quiet corner, and put all weapons, all implements that might be weapons, away. He can't carry such things for long, and what he can snatch up and strike men with must be hidden away. Good, again, said Adji. We shall have him yet. And on the roads, said Kemp and hesitated. Yes, said Adji. Powdered glass, said Kemp. It's cruel, I know, but think of what he may do. Adji drew the air in sharply between his teeth. It's unsportsmanlike. I don't know. But I'll have powdered glass got ready if he goes too far. The man's become inhuman, I tell you, said Kemp. I am as sure he will establish a reign of terror so soon as he has got over the emotions of his escape, as I am sure I am talking to you. Our only chance is to be ahead. He has cut himself off from his kind. His blood be upon his own head. And that was our chapter. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, I hope you'll tell your friends and also maybe consider, if you have the means, providing listener support. I appreciate you, and I want to thank you for choosing Definitely Storytime. I'm your host, Jamie. I want to thank Anchor for being here, for being free, 
and providing very simple, useful, and straightforward tools to get my podcast up and running. They automatically upload my episodes to Anchor and to Spotify and give me the power to share to other platforms of my choosing. Anchor has me feeling confident and empowered to share my voice. You may want to consider Anchor if you have a voice that you would like to share.